All right, well, we're going to go ahead and get started tonight. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll get started in James. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for just an opportunity to be here tonight. And I thank you for um, the God that you are, that you continue to love us and care for us um, and just continue to guide us along this path. And uh, even through all of our failings, Lord, you're always there to forgive and be patient with us and to teach us and to show us uh, the things from your word using your Holy Spirit to convict us um, and lead us into those paths of righteousness. And Lord, I just pray that as we are looking at this tonight from the book of James, that we would just have that uh, mind of thankfulness as we, we as we look at what we have here uh, to teach us and to show us uh, the differences between a person that is unstable and a person that has a, has his foundation fixed upon you. And Lord, again, I just pray that you'd be with us to this evening and you would just um, guide my lips and my words and my mind that all this would be pleasing and honoring unto you and that it would give you glory and praise. I, this I ask in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to pick up and kind of backtrack just a little bit here. Uh, where it says, um, in verse, uh, verse eight, it says, double minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich and that he is made low because as the flower of the grass, um, he shall pass away. <clears throat> For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass and the flower thereof faileth. And the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. And we started talking a little bit about his ways. And we'll take a look at a couple of passages regarding that. It says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. So what we have here is a little bit, if you will, of some rebuke of the history of Israel. Remember, he, he's speaking to Jewish people here because we saw that where he's talking to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. And here he is, this message that's being delivered to them is what is your mind focused on? Is that's what he's getting at at the first part. We can't be focused on things of this world and then try to focus on God at the same time. It, it creates a problem. Now, obviously, we live in this world. Uh, there's stuff that we, 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 we use that God blesses us with to continue to, um, live and continue to, um, uh, do things and, um, go about the business that, uh, the Lord has for us to do. Uh, he, you know, he, he blesses us, you know, in this country blesses us with uh, houses and automobiles and, um, you know, clothes and food and things of that nature that uh, <coughs> Paul just simply said, with food and raiment, therewith be content. He said, just, you know, just with that, start there. 
uh, for the contentment. And then, you know, again, you start looking at uh, what he's talking about in First Thessalonians about in everything give thanks, going through that process of making sure you're thankful. I tell you, it becomes a, a very much a labor of love to do that in your life with everything that you have and everything that you receive. The, the, there should always be that very first thought of thank you, Lord. Before anything else begins, there should be that thought of, of just praising him in our, our heart for what he has given us. And, and, and again, sometimes we as believers, we, we, we lose that. And, and, uh, Paul talks about that in the end days. People, people are unthankful. People, man, people are unthankful. No kidding. I mean, you just see how people behave nowadays. You know, you've got people complaining that they cannot handle a nine to five job and then come home and, 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 and have to cook a dinner. It's, to them, it's just that that's just too much. I'm like, good grief! I mean, what what, what happened to work ethic? I mean, what happened to uh, you know people just uh, you know uh, um, just realizing that life itself is work? You know, getting out of bed for us for some of us it it's a chore. You know, <laughs> try getting out of bed with no core muscles. It's you know it's. It, it's a challenge. You learn how to just kind of roll off the bed like a log and hopefully you land on your feet, you know? The, everything winds up being a, a, a labor in, for which we should be thankful for. And as he goes through this, we're going to see uh, throughout this some of the things that the, the, the nation of Israel focused on. They weren't, I mean, while they were kind of thankful for the land that they received, they weren't thankful enough to continue to remember God gave it to them. And he, here's the, here's the, the, the problem. You go back over there and he tells them it's going to be a land of milk and honey. Tells them over and over again, this is going to be a beautiful land. The land is going to yield stuff to you. They go in, the spies confirm it. And say, man, this stuff is fantastic. It's amazing what's over there. And, and you think about that and you think about how they go in and, and not only have they basically pillaged Egypt with their gold, taken all of it, they're going into a land that is absolutely f- just fabulously rich and God is blessing them so that these individuals would be rich. But the problem is, and as he gets here into this passage, he says, but the rich in that he is made low. If God blesses you with any type of riches, you've got to be humble about it. You have got to be humble about it. There are those that boast about it. They boast about uh, how much money they make. They boast about, uh, you know, the promotion they received. They boast about um, all these things as if, they did it solely themselves. I mean, we got to remember the Bible says that promotion comes from the Lord, and I, I I do take that very literally when it comes to anything in this life. Anything in this life, if you get promoted at work, that's God's doing. Because yeah, you may be a good worker, but why are you a good worker? 
Are you working for the Lord? Now, if we're working for ourselves and we're trying to get that promotion ourselves and we get it ourselves, uh, there's a good pro- probability that something of that is going to fail. As he's talking about here, he's saying that person is going to fade away. Because riches are not, they, they, they don't last forever. I mean, we all know what can happen when there's a recession or a depression or an economic collapse or economic hiccup or, 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 you know, a stock market falling or whatever it may be. There may be some problems. There may be some trials and troubles and, and people are all now, you know, biting their nails saying, Oh, it's going to happen now. It's going to happen now. And, and some people are saying, Oh, no, our economy is great. Our economy is great. Um, you know, in, but you know, we've got inflation and all this back and forth. You know, all that's going to fade away. You know, all that gold in Fort Knox is, 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 is worthless. I, I just think about it. Here we are idolizing gold and God uses it as pavement. <laughs> I mean, think about what we use as pavement around here. You know, we use asphalt or if you're, if you're driving over uh, that area in I-5, it's like all concrete and you, you're hitting every, oh man, that's, they got to do something about that. That's horrible. But whether it's concrete or rock or gravel or asphalt or, 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 or whatever it may be, steel decking, those are things that, I mean, we, we wouldn't consider that valuable. Yet God talks about gold being glory, talks, you know, compares it to his glory. But, but in the end, the whole concept behind it is, is that it's going to fade away. Remember when Solomon had all those gold shields on the, along, lined along the, the road there? And uh, they'd take, uh, they, they would be out there, and it, I just just imagine the brilliance of what that would be when the sun hit it. And you just, it would be fantastic. And then, you know, things start going bad, and, you know, here, here comes one of the kings, and he, he's, you know, they've got to get rid of the shields because the economy isn't that great. So he puts out brass ones that look like gold. And then, uh, in order to, to conceal the fact that they're not real gold, he has them remove them. They only come out when he's going up there and then he's taking them down so nobody can see it. I mean, this is where people get their conspiracy theories about government from. <laughs> I mean, you know, you start looking at it and you, you see how they're trying to hide all those things. But God warns and says, this stuff's going to fade away. It's going to fade away. And he says in verse, uh, excuse me, in verse 11, says, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. He's going to fade away in his ways. I want you to turn to the book of Jeremiah and turn to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. And here's some condemnation coming to the nation of Israel. Jeremiah chapter 23. <clears throat> He, he, he goes through and he starts talking about, in verse 10, he says, the land is full of adulterers. He starts, uh, you know, saying, for because of the swearing, the land mourneth. 
the pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up and their course is evil and their force is not right. Remember, God said if the nation of Israel went wayward, the land was going to spew them out, was going to reject them, was actually as if it was an entity on its own, was going to stop yielding the fruit. You go over there now to the nation of Israel and you start looking around that area. Um, I wouldn't call it the green spot of the world. Uh, you know, a lot of it's still desert. A lot of it's still, you know, low shrub bush and things like that. And it doesn't quite look like what it was supposed to look like. It doesn't have the same beauty that it had back then. Can you imagine what that area is going to look like once the curse is lifted? Once Israel comes back in and begins to possess that land during the, the thousand-year millennial reign? Wow. That's going to be amazing. And the, and the whole Israeli-Palestinian conflict will be taken care of in just an instant. Because God's going to say, I gave them that land. I gave them that land. So when we begin to see what's going on here, we see that he says, you know, this is the description of what is happening here. In verse 11, it says, For both prophet and priest are profane. Yea, in my house I have found their wickedness, saith the Lord. And we can even say that today of the United States if you wanted to, to make a little bit of a parallelism there. I know Israel is not in the United States and the U.S. is not in Israel. But there's a lot to learn from it. And you see today that the prophets and priests, they are profane. They are profane. And he says in verse 12 here, Wherefore their way shall be unto them as slippery ways in the darkness. They shall be driven on and fall therein, for I will bring evil upon them even the year of their visitation, saith the Lord. Now, think about this here. He's describing their ways, and he says, Their way shall be unto them as slippery ways in the darkness. Not just slippery, but slippery in the dark. Have you ever driven on black ice? You have no control. I don't care how much four-wheel, six-wheel, eight-wheel drive you've got on a vehicle. If it's ice, you're you're sliding. It's just going to happen. And you have no control over it. I remember one winter uh, I was in college, and the college was on the top of a hill. So we started getting snow first. Uh, you know, all of the, the, the students were concerned. They look out and they see all this snow and they start getting a little antsy and the instructors are getting antsy. And, and then, you know, we get the overhead pages and the, the stuff going off that's basically saying classes are canceled. Uh, everybody, you know, can go ahead and leave. Yeah, let's go ahead and release 1,500 students all at once in a snowstorm with ice on a hill and watch what happens to just to get out of the campus. It took an hour and a half because to get out of the campus, you had a hill like this. You had to go up to get to the main road and there was no sanding trucks that had gone there and there was nothing there. So people are trying to get out and push these cars, but they're pushing these cars on ice and they're sliding down, hitting other cars and all sorts of stuff. And, and, and I finally get out and I'm getting onto the, the, the main drag and I'm driving along and there's a few cars there, but there's a bunch of cars on the side of the road that had stopped 
and and I start sliding and I start sliding towards one of the cars and boom, you know, I hit the curb and bounce off and I'm like a ping pong ball, you know, going all the way down there and praise the Lord, I didn't hit any cars. But you got no control. That was during the daytime. Now imagine doing that in the dark where you can't see anything. And this is how God describes them and says, this is how bad it's going to get. This is how their ways have faded, if you will. They're fading away from the things of God. Turn over to chapter 25 of the book of Jeremiah. Excuse me, chapter 26. Chapter 26 in Jeremiah. This is what God says about their ways. Now remember, let's go ahead and compare the nation of Israel to the rich man. Because the rich man is only focused on, and again, he's not pronouncing a condemnation on every, anybody that has money or wealth or riches. He's saying this is, and again, this is part of the contextual understanding of what scripture is about. You look at it and you say, this man is double-minded. He is focused on the wrong thing. That's what this passage is about. But you get over here and start talking about the ways of the, the the nation of Israel, where they were rich and they forgot God. Here in in uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter twenty six, jump down to uh, verse thirteen. Therefore, now amend your ways and your doings, and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will repent him of the evil that he hath pronounced against you. This is simply what God is asking for for Israel. Just change. Just change. You have a choice. You, you, you can, you can amend. All day long, I write amendments for documents, changing things. Whether it's a duration term or a pricing term or payment terms or the name of the facility or whatever it may be. Uh, there's an amendment that's made that, that makes a change. And God is simply saying to Israel, would you make a change? Just make a change in your life. And we find here, you know, going back to, to James uh, chapter 1, he's saying that the rich man's ways, are, you know, he says the rich man fade away in his ways. It's because his ways are corrupt. His ways aren't Proverbs chapter 3. His ways aren't found in the Word of God. His ways are found in the physical things. And, and he, he gets into verse 12, he starts talking about, and, and it's not jumping around, it's a continuous thought. The double-mindedness of people focusing on the physical things that they're blessed with, making more of the gift than the giver, the end result is, is that person is going to stumble and fall. They fall into these temptations. Now remember, he started off saying, you know, you, you need to rejoice when you're tempted. Because you have an opportunity to choose God. I mean, again, you jump back up there, uh, to, to, to that in verse two, where he says, my brother encountered all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now diverse means, I mean, I- I- anything. It can be anything, whatever type of temptation it may be. And he says, when you fall into that, you, you need to count joy because you have an opportunity to choose God. 
you have an opportunity to change if you actually fall for the temptation. You have an opportunity to repent and remember, you know, people always try to truncate and try to, if you will, reduce and, and dumb down words and, and, and we can't really do that. Because when we start talking about repentance, the first thing we need to understand that scripture talks about is repentance is turn to God. And if you turn to God, you will turn away from your sins. It's just, I mean, that that's what happens. But people always want to say, well, it's turning from sin. No, it's turning from, it's turning to God from your sin. We have to get that specific because when you just turn away from your sin, you can turn to another sin. Right. You can turn to the wisdom of man. You can turn to, you know, not, not discounting them, but, you know, some self-help group or something. But if, if you're turning to the Lord and you're seeking Him in that repentance, in that change... That is the change that will last. We've talked about it. How do you make change last? Well, there's a process. There's some things that you've got to do. You skip part of the process and, well, you're, you're driving down the road and, you know, missing a couple of tires and wheels. It's going to be difficult. But here he is, he's, he's saying, look, you know, you're going to fall into these things. Count it joy that you get to choose God. That you get to make this change. That you get to go this direction. Because as he says here in verse 12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. You know, temptation never stops. You realize that over there in Matthew and in Luke, when Jesus was being tempted, that it wasn't just those three little temptations that they, that they document. It was the whole 40 days. We can't even go an hour. We can barely get through one day. But 40? 40? And it says that the, the devil left him for a season. You know what that means? It didn't stop. It didn't stop. People will pray, well, Lord, remove this temptation. Ah, no. How about you pray, Lord, Give me your strength so that I can get through this temptation. Give me the wisdom so that I know the right choices to make. Help me when I fail to show me what I should do next time. I mean, all these things we begin to realize. But here he says, the the man that can endure temptation... That temptation comes constantly, nonstop. And if you can endure it by just not choosing the temptation, eh, you might get through it. 
But if you endure the temptation by continuing to choose Christ, you'll get through it. Because remember, he's given us a way of escape, as he says over there uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. One of those two. <laughs> Forget which one right now. But he makes it very clear. We can endure that temptation. Just because the temptation's there doesn't mean we have to take it. Doesn't mean that we have to follow it. It says here, now, now this is very important, and I want us to understand this, this next phrase. Because the Bible, if you let it, will define and show itself what terms mean. The, the, the Bible is kind of like a self-defining book. It's got its own dictionaries built into it. And if you study scripture and you pick up on these every, I mean, again, every word, and you look at it, you see that God is showing us something. Because again, we're going to get to a point where down there it starts talking about God hasn't tempted man or tempted any man. And somebody's going to jump over there to Genesis chapter uh, 21, verse 1, and say, look, it says God tempted Abraham. Again, context is so important because we're talking about evil temptation versus being tried. Because the word tempt, the definition of the word tempt is to provoke. To provoke. Now, provocation can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. You can provoke somebody under wrath all day long. You can sit there and poke them or act like you're going to touch him. You know, the kids in the car. He's not touching me. He's not touching me. He's breathing my air. You know, whatever it may be. You know, <laughs> something of that nature. But, 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 you know, the Lord says that we're supposed to provoke each other as believers unto what? Good works. Provoking believers unto love. Do the right thing. These are things that, 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 that provocation is good for. So when, te- when temptations come, this is why we begin to give joy because it's, it's really going to test us. And that's part of the definition of, of tempting is to, to, to go through a test, to be tried. And what it's looking for as part of that definition, and if you will, part of the etymology of it, is to see where your allegiance lies. Who are you loyal to? Because look at this, he says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried. And in this life, we say we go through what? Trials. Somebody that is a suspect that is being brought in as a defendant for, for a crime that was committed, that person, the accused, is going to be tried in a trial. One thing that we have to understand is God, first and foremost, God is a scientist. God is a mathematician. He's also a doctor, and he's a good lawyer. 
Because he's a judge. And, and, and for me, I gravitate towards that part. Because I, I, I like the legal world. I, I, I like looking at those things. It intrigues me. Because I see so many parallels between what we do on a day-to-day basis in legal departments with what God does. And it's just absolutely amazing. But he, and praise the Lord, he's not just limited to that. He's also a great potter. <laughs> the way he makes people, the way, he, you know, he forms us and shapes us. He's a great guide. I mean, I could go on as far as, if you will, the careers that God has. But, but here he is, he's talking about being tried. Because what a temptation will do is it will reveal the nature and the leaning of your heart. It will show exactly what it's desiring because that's where he goes down further and he talks about every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust in verse 14 and enticed. The reason that we fall in that temptation is because of the lusts that we have. And let's kid ourselves, not, not kid ourselves, excuse me, uh, you know, the devil doesn't always throw, isn't the one that's throwing temptations out there. You read that verse, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. It's our own heart what we want. It's our will. It's, I mean, you know, the devil doesn't really have to do much except for, you know, spin our top a little bit and then, you know, we do the rest. Our greatest enemy you know, yeah, he, he, we talk about the devil being the enemy, but our greatest enemy that we fight in combat on a day-to-day basis is that war that, that Paul talks about in his mind. We're battling ourselves. We're fighting ourselves in this. But but as we, we, we look at this a little bit further, he says, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. When a person endures the temptation, goes through and says, I'm going to come through the other side. I'm not going to succumb to that. There is a crown that is waiting. It's called the crown of life. Now, it's interesting that it's called that. Why? Because if you will, temptation is part of life. Genesis chapter 3. After that, it's just temptation after temptation after temptation. You've got Cain getting angry with Abel over a sacrifice to God. And and, and when God says, be careful, sin lies at the door, what does Cain do? He scoffs at the authority, does his own thing, and he ends up killing his brother. Cold-blooded murder. And we begin to realize how quickly temptations can rise in this life. And, 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 and here he is calling it the crown of life. If you can just simply endure the temptation and not fall into it. Somebody that can endure that. That man is blessed. That man is blessed with this crown of life. And he says, 
and, and, and he gets to the root of the matter. And in one of the most stinging phrases in all of the book, as he's talking about, if you can endure temptation, you're going to get tried, all these things. He says, you're going to get a crown if you can endure it. He says, look at this very, very clearly in verse 12, which the Lord hath promised to them. The Lord has promised it, said it's going to be there. But you notice those last few words that are there, right? That I just kind of skipped over. Let's read it again. Which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Therein lies the problem. With a rich man, he loves the riches more than he loves God. He says he loves God, but he really loves those riches. He loves what God has given him more than God who gave it to him. And when we get down to this, this is, this is the biggest issue. Now remember, when, when, when they tried to, if you will, tempt Christ, asking about the great law, you know, which is the greatest law, because what did they want to do? They wanted to jump on him, and if he said, well, you know, the greatest law is thou shalt not kill because we need to preserve life, they would have jumped on him and said, ah, 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 no, 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 no. It's you shan't, you know, shall not take the Lord in the name of the Lord in vain, or uh, you shall have no other gods before me. And they'll, they'll, they'll jump on those ones because that was the one that was mentioned first. But but the one that was overall that was, if you will, the summation, all of them, that Christ points out because, well, he was the lawgiver and still is. He points out is the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your mind, with all your strength. You know, looking at the various different statements that are made about that commandment. Basically, what he's saying is all of you should love God. Then you can love your neighbor. But people try to skip the first part. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are do-gooders. They want to help people. They want to help the down and out. They want to help the indigent. They want to help the homeless and the houseless. Uh, they, 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 they want to, to help those people. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to help those people. There's nothing wrong with it. But the problem is, is in order to love them the way that they're supposed to be loved, you have to love God first. And they're trying to cut God out of it. And then that love becomes, if you will, a self-satisfaction. Making them feel good. Well, it's not about making them feel good. If you do something because it, quote-unquote, makes you feel good, you're serving yourself. Now, there are things that we do, such as when we please the Lord and we serve Him, and th- there is, if you will, uh, and I dare say, and I, I cringe when I say it, that good feeling that happens with it, that's just simply praise trying to break out of you. <laughs> that's how I describe it. It, 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 it. When that occurs... And you all of a sudden, you know, you do something for the Lord and you get excited about it. Maybe you hand somebody a gospel track and they read it right there. And the next thing you know is you see them drop to their knees and trust Christ as your Savior. And you're all excited about that. That, that That's praiseworthy. 
That, that, that if you will, quote unquote, good feeling is the Holy Spirit inside of you getting excited, saying you need to be excited too. Get excited about what's going on. Give God glory and praise that a sinner has come home. I mean, it's that simple. Because what what James here is, is, is if you will, um, contrasting, he's, he's saying one person is out for themselves and another person is out to please God. And you find that in the book of Proverbs. The fool and the wise man. One wants to please God. One wants to just live in his own lusts and just be content therewith. And here he's pointing this out and he's saying the main issue is, is whether or not you're going to love the Lord. I mean, it's almost like James is saying the reason we fall into temptations is we just don't love God enough. You're like, oh, come on, man, that stings. Excuse me for a second while I take the knife out of my back. But it, yeah, it's, it's a hundred percent true when we start realizing, man, I messed up. I put myself first instead of God. We've got to make that change. That's what that trial is about. It shows where our real true allegiance lies. And here he is, he says in this passage, he says, uh, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God, not, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. First and foremost, you can't, you can't tempt God. What are you going to tempt him with? He's God. Power? Well, he's already got it. Authority? Well, he's got that one too. Riches? I mean, again, gold is pavement. Let's just start there. Gold is used as building materials. Wow. Precious stones being build, used as building materials. And here we are clawing at the earth to get one little diamond out and going, oh, look what I found. And God looks at that and goes, huh, you should see the one over there. <laughs> see that one the size of, you know, a Buick? Is <laughs> holding up that building over there? How the Lord just, I mean, again, what are you going to tempt him with? With money? Money is a fabrication of man that is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you know, everybody can go into the whole gold standard and the silver and all that. Yeah, okay, whatever. We, you know, we, we, we got to use the things that we've got and we've got to use this little paper money or I guess nobody carries cash anymore anyways. But we got to use the little cards and things and that's what, you know, moves things along. Understand that. God understands that. But what are you going to attempt them with? Uh, you gonna tempt them with your credit limit on your credit card? Woohoo, I got $30,000 in a credit limit. That's nothing compared to God. You can't tempt him. But overall, what he's getting at is you can't tempt God with evil. You can't tempt him to sin. He won't choose it. It's, it's not even part of his nature. He'll refuse it. 
I mean, again, you know, I go back to the book of Job, and there's the devil. And why the devil thinks this way, I have no idea. But I have to say this, most man, or most, you know, most of mankind thinks the same way. You know, oh, like, you know, he's going to go tempt God and, and again, try to prove God wrong. I'd be really interested to know how the conversation went after Job got all his stuff back and Satan walked in front of God again. We don't see that conversation. I just, you know, my mind speculates about how that conversation went. But, you know, God doesn't put it in there. So we, we don't know. But there's the devil essentially trying to tempt God. And God doesn't fall for it. God knows the heart of his servant. God knows each one of us. That's why he said, every temptation has an escape. There's always a way to just not make that choice to do it. To do it, to say it, to think it, to let it affect you. And he says, let no man say, you know what that means? If you've got another brother around you saying, well, pfft, man, you know, God's getting really hard on you. Nah, yeah. Stop him. Don't let him disparage the name of the Lord. Don't, don't, don't let somebody disparage who God is. Now, again, you know, God doesn't need us to stand up for him, but he wants us to. He wants us to make, as he says in the book of Ephesians, to stand. He wants us to make sure that that, that it's very clear here that, that when somebody is starting to say these things, don't let them say it. Don't let them say it. Why? Because it's false. And he points out that the real reason that the temptation existed was because of what we want. The temptation came because of what we desired. And as he says this here, and he points it out, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. He shows very clearly that's not the case. And he says, neither tempteth he any man. Because again, this winds up into the issue of blaming God for sin. That's why we, or, you know, we as, if you will, this, this congregation, we reject wholeheartedly and wholesale the teachings of Calvinism or Reformed theology. Why? Because the end result is it makes God the author of sin and it blames him for the sin. Because if we have no free will and no choice to make in the matter, then that means that when we do sin, that we have sinned because it was in God's will? No, that's blasphemy. That's why we reject those things. Now again, somebody's going to jump over there to Genesis 22, and they're going to point out that it says that God tempted Abraham. But God has already made it clear here that there's a, that, that there's a definition of that word. 
And when we look at this verse here, it says, tempted with evil. Therein is the context. That's what it's about. Did you know that Paul, at one point in time, talked about his temptation? Go over to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. You know, sometimes we get these ideas of what we think words mean. And, and you know what? We really have to pause and, 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 and just take a look really truly what the Word of God says about it. This is why we gotta study. Failure to study leads to a dullard. And a dullard cannot make a decision or has the discernment to make the right decision. I know I'm using a word that is so archaic, dullard. Nobody uses that word anymore. It's better than saying idiot or stupid head. (laughs) But, you know, Galatians uh, uh, chapter 4, take a look at this, what he says here in verse, uh, oh, oh, just start with verse 12. Brethren, I beseech you as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. He's making it clear he's he's not offended. And I tell you, this verse right here, Galatians 4.12, really needs to be a mantra of a lot of people's lives. To choose not to be injured. Somebody's going to say something to you that is really horrible or awful. You need to make the choice to say, I'm not going to let it injure me. You've got that choice. You've got that choice. Verse 13, he says, Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel to you unto you at the first. He had a problem. There was an infirmity of the flesh. That could be anything. And, and, and again, the, the, the Lord, when he even talked about over there, uh, that uh, thorn in the flesh that he was dealing with, that he prayed to the Lord to remove three times, and God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And he turned around and Paul said, well, I'm going to praise God for his strength. I'm going to praise God I'm weak so that God can show his strength, paraphrasing. But here he says there's an infirmity of the flesh he's dealing with. He's got a problem. And people were talking about it. They were talking about it. And it says in verse 14, and my temptation. He refers to it as a temptation. Makes you kind of change what you think about the word temptation. My temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected. Now look, if you've got a temptation that's to do evil, uh, again, I'm just going to use an extreme, just way, way, way out of the blue extreme. If you're tempted to, to knock off the local bank, Rob it of all its money. And this is a temptation for you that you have to battle every morning and every evening 
And you have to refrain from even going to the bank because you just you, you start casing the joint. You, you, I mean, you, 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 you've got such this desire to do those things, which, I mean, again, it's totally ridiculous, but there are those people, okay? And, 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 and that's an issue. You know what? You're going to want to despise that, and you're going to want to reject it, right? That's a temptation that you're going to say, uh, no. If you're a saved, born-again child of God, and you're tempted to rob a bank, you need to despise and reject that. You need to take that thought, bring it into captivity, throw it in the deepest, darkest dungeon, get rid of it, and don't do it, because federal prison is a nightmare. <laughs> but we think about this for a moment here. He's saying they did not despise or reject his temptation. So the temptation was there to reveal the glory of God. And they accepted it. They accepted it. Now that is an amazing thing to think about. They realized that Paul was just a man in his failings, and they were willing to accept that because they knew that God would get the glory from it. Because he says, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Now that's an amazing thing to think about. That's an amazing thing to think about. They were really willing to look past that. Now that changes the whole idea and the concept of temptation. Which is why James starts talking about diverse temptations. Because let's put it this way. Every temptation has the opportunity to give glory to the Savior that loved us enough to die for us and to rise again and give us eternal life. Every opportunity that we get to give him glory, every opportunity that we get to give him thanks, to get to give him praise, to get to give him honor, we should relish every opportunity. We should love it. We should embrace it. Because it just shows how great our God really truly is. Israel lost that. They lost it along the way. This is why James is saying, we need to get this back. We need to get back on track. We're scattered all over the world. We were given such great riches, we came so focused on them, we couldn't endure the temptations. We couldn't endure them. But let's not put the blame on God. Let's not say that God led us into that temptation. But let's understand exactly what the context is. And he says in verse 14, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. There's the problem. 
The problem is us. The problem is us. Now, next week, we'll explore this just a little bit more. We'll start looking at uh, these temptations that come about. And, and, and we've, you know, again, we've got to be careful with this. And this is why he says, do not err. We've got to get the mind focused on the Lord. And when I talk about the mind, I'm talking about the mind of the heart of the soul, the very deepest part of us what we desire and what we want, what we think about, what we focus on. If if it's not God and if it's not pleasing God, then we're double-minded. And we're going to wind up falling because we're unstable. The doctors tell me because of some neuropathy that I've got going on with my leg because I was in, in these hospital beds for so long, you're saying I really should be walking with a cane. I haven't found a cane I really like yet, and that's part of the problem. So <clears throat> I know I probably just need to bust it down and just buy one and get one. But but the end result is I, I, I'm unstable. If I turn too fast or I pivot too fast, i got to be careful. Going on downstairs, going upstairs, I'm better. It takes a little bit more work, but I'm more stable. Going downstairs, man, I know that one of these days, man, I'm going to be taking, you know, a you know, roller coaster ride down one of those things. All the way down. So, you know, it's a concern. The nurses come in and they always ask, did you have any falls? Did you have any falls? Did you have any falls? And I'm like, I'm like, man, no. But it's a concern. It's a huge concern. But if my mind is focused on the things of this earth, I can't focus on the things of God. And if I try to do both, I am going to be walking with a horrible limp. I'm going to set myself up to fall, just like Israel did. We're in the same boat. we got to be careful. Because we can fall for it too. We'll pick up Lord willing next week, but let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I just thank you for the time you've given to us. I thank you again for an opportunity to study your word and just receive some instruction and maybe some conviction, maybe some uh, areas that we need to look at in our lives. And Lord, I, I just want to thank you that, that you still love us and care for us, that we can still see your hand working in, in, in our lives. The Lord, you didn't just save us and leave us alone, but you saved us unto good works, and you're going to guide us and direct us in those good works, provoke us unto those good works, test us and try us to show us exactly where our heart lies. And Lord, I just pray we'd think about this throughout the rest of this week. Lord, you'd be with us as tomorrow we take a, a day to just give thanks. And, and again, Lord, I, I just pray that we understand the giving of thanks is unto you. Thank you that we have this nation that we can live in and that, Lord, we still have the freedom to even be here and worship. Thank you, Lord, that there's still those, that, even in government, that speak of going to their knees in prayer and praying for this country. There's still Christians out there, Lord, even in the government. 
Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that we just keep that in mind as we enjoy the provisions you give us. We enjoy the food and the family fellowship, the friendly fellowship. Lord, I just pray that we would just, just give you the glory, honor, and praise for all of that. Pray you take us home safely tonight and bring us back again safe on Sunday, Lord, to just hear your word, to continue to grow in you. And this I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.